Why is it that that person believes Jesus and this person doesn't? Have you ever wondered that? Why is it that that person understands Jesus and this person doesn't? A couple of weeks ago at the Wednesday prayer meeting that we hold on Zoom, Stuart was preaching in our series in Proverbs. And if you were there, you might remember that before he began speaking to check that there were no audio problems, he said, if you can't hear me, put your hand up. Do you see the problem there? Stuart realized straight away and corrected himself. That's a pointless thing to have said. If you can't hear me, you wouldn't know to put your hand up. Why is it that that person believes Jesus and this person does not? What Jesus says in John 6, 44 is to answer that question. To set the scene throughout John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching The Jews are listening, but the more Jesus teaches, the more the Jews resist what he's saying. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The Jews grumble, how can he give us his flesh to eat? Jesus says, I have come down from heaven. The Jews murmur, how can he have come down from heaven? We know his father and mother. That's what we read earlier on. And in verse 43, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. In other words, Jesus says to them, There's no use murmuring and complaining that you don't understand what I'm teaching because... The only reason anyone understands what I'm teaching is that my father has drawn him. In a sense, gospel preaching is saying, if you can hear me, put your hand up. And the Jews aren't putting their hand up. They aren't coming to Jesus. Why? Because they can't hear him. Why can't they hear him? Is Jesus not being clear enough? Is he not explaining the correct things that they need to know? Is he missing something out? Has he maybe overlooked something crucial? Or has he simply got the whole thing wrong? They're all things that the listening Jews were guessing. But no, none of those things. They can't hear him because no one can come to Jesus unless the Father who sent Jesus draws him. And in that simple sentence, Jesus reveals something earth-shattering. Coming to Jesus is not only a human act from our end. Coming to Jesus is also a divine act from God's end. So, this afternoon, we'll take the two sections of Jesus' statement in turn. Firstly, the human act, coming to Jesus, coming to the Son. And secondly, 
the divine act drawn by the Father. But before we jump in, why does this matter? Why should you bother giving this message your attention? Because of how Jesus ends this verse. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father who sent him draws him and that person he will raise up at the last day. Will that be you? If the end of all this is Jesus raising you to life on the last day, then what he says about coming and drawing must be important. Your soul rests upon what Jesus is saying. So the first point this afternoon, the human act, what we do, coming to Jesus, coming to the Son. What does it mean to come to the Son? Perhaps the most famous verse where Jesus gives the encouragement to come to him is Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What is it to labor and be heavy laden? Maybe the, the trials of life are weighing you down. Suffering, pain, hardship, just the day-to-day -day grind of life. Maybe the commandments of God, and more so for Jesus here, is the commandments of the Pharisees feel tedious and difficult and cumbersome and draining. Everyone runs somewhere for an escape, don't they? Whether it's a newfound hobby, whether it's a, a glass of wine and a book, whether it's the arms of a loved one. But then what happens when the escape fails you? The hobby becomes boring. The book ends and the glass is empty. The loved one lets you down. And the escape then becomes part of the heavy labor you feel from the world. But there is a deep, true, unfailing, everlasting rest offered to us by Jesus. And the question is, how do we receive this rest? How do we experience this rest? We come to Jesus. And we find that the rest is him. Isn't this an incredible claim from this man? To take hold of the ultimate rest in life. You don't follow this step-by-step -step guide. You don't travel the world to find yourself. You don't meditate and look within. No, you come to a person and you look around and say okay Jesus where is it and he says it's me knowing me is the rest isn't that an incredible claim you find the final rest for your soul when you come to him now one person might say how am I to come to Jesus today in 2021 I can't physically do that because he's not here he's in heaven 
Now, it was fine for Peter. It was easy for James and John and the crowds seeing him pass by. They could walk up to him. They could touch him. They could follow him around. Ah, but one of the pearls we find in the great treasure chest of John chapter 6 is that coming to Jesus isn't with your body. It never was. But with your soul. Coming to Jesus in 2021 AD with Jesus in heaven means exactly the same thing as it did in 33 AD with Jesus standing right in front of you. Did you know that? You see, Jesus spoke of the Pharisees, who were just like the Jews in our chapter here in John. Matthew 15, Jesus says, Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's what we see in John chapter 6. The Jews have drawn near to Jesus in one sense, and yet their spiritual state couldn't be further away so therefore coming to Jesus isn't a physical thing so what is it look back from verse 44 a couple of verses where we began our reading John 6 35 Jesus said to them I am the bread of life he who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus uses these pictures, eating from him because we're hungry, drinking from him because we're thirsty, resting in him because we're tired. These amazing pictures of being satisfied, having an, an itch scratched. And we've all been there whether we're five or 95, oh, I'm so hungry, I'm starving, I just want some food. Oh, I'm so thirsty, it's so hot, I just want a cold drink. Oh, I'm so tired, I've been on my feet all day, I just want to sit down. They're all pictures of the same thing. And that's what Jesus is saying he is like. He is the food. He is the cold drink. He is the sit down. Not for your physical body, but for your mind, your heart, your soul. And he never fades in his ability to satisfy like everything else does in creation. Now in verse 35, there's a, a parallel Jesus makes between coming so that we won't hunger and believing in him so that we won't thirst. He equates our hunger with our thirst. They're the same thing. They aren't separate needs. So verse 35, he equates the solution coming to him with believing in him. So coming to Jesus is believing Jesus. So what does this mean for me and you? Well, picture an old lady with a, an ongoing health condition. She'd heard the call from the doctor, if you should ever need me, 
come to the surgery and I'll see you right away. Now it happens one day that the lady feels great unrest and, and a great burden from her condition. So she gets in her car right away and drives to see the doctor. Now what does the lady's coming to the doctor show us about what is happening in her heart and her mind? It shows that she's believing the doctor is willing to receive her. It shows that she's believing the doctor is able to help her. And it shows that she's putting all else aside in order to be in the place where she knows she can be helped. Now, turn your mind from that lady to you. You may not have a health condition, but you either have or had, depending on whether you've come to Christ already, a deadly sin condition of the soul. You've heard the call from Jesus, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And it happens that you feel a great unrest and a great burden from your condition. And so what does it mean for you to come to Jesus? It means that you're believing the physician of your souls is willing to receive you. That the physician of your souls is able to help you and that you're putting all else aside in order to get to the place where you know you can be helped. That's what coming to Jesus is. It's having that kind of faith in him. So I wonder, do you? Do you have that kind of faith in the son, the one who came to earth for you? who gave up his life for you, hung on the cross for you, who rose from the dead for you, to bring you into his kingdom where you can find rest, both now and for eternity. See, this rest doesn't end at the grave, like all of the hopes you can find on this earth do. But back to our verse, John 6, 44, what does Jesus say will happen as a result of you coming to him? He repeats this four times in the chapter. Come to me, and whoever comes, I will raise up at the last day. What an incredible claim, again, from Jesus. Who is this man to say that he will not only that he will not only <laughs> immortally live to the last day, but has the power over your life and death to bring you to life again and to stand with him? Who is this man? I personally will raise you up on the last day. This is the one we come to. This is the savior who says of himself in Revelation 1, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and death. What kind of man is this? This is the Savior. This is the Son of God. We come to him 
And the end result is we're satisfied by him being living bread to us. And we're filled by him being living water to us. And we will be raised up by him on the last day to be satisfied forever. And notice how definite this is. This will happen. He will raise up all who come to him. Just a few verses before verse 44, verse 39, Jesus said, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he's given me I should lose nothing but raise it up at the last day. So the Son's been sent to do the Father's will. We have to ask ourselves, can the Son fail in doing the Father's will? Our answer must be no. Therefore, the Son won't lose any who come to him. Therefore, the Son will raise up any who come to him. Anyone who truly comes to Christ is eternally held by Christ. But the Jews aren't coming to him. They're listening to the words of Jesus, but not truly hearing him. They're listening to the teachings of Jesus, but not truly understanding him. And so that leads Jesus to reveal this incredible truth in response to that. This human act that is so vital and necessary cannot take place unless the divine act happens. No one can come to the Son unless the Father draws him. And that's our second point, drawn by the Father. What is it to be drawn by the Father? It's, it's an interesting word that Jesus decides to use. The same Greek word here in verse 44 we have translated as draw is the same word used in John chapter 21, where Peter drags a heavy net full of fish to the shore. Now, Peter doesn't invite the fish to hop up onto the shore. Peter doesn't persuade the fish to hop up onto the shore. He drags them and hauls them out of the place they were to get them to the place he needs them to be. The reason he drags them is because the fish have no power or desire in themselves. That's the word Jesus uses to describe the Father drawing us. No one can come to him unless the Father draws, drags, hauls him to Christ. So we've had our illustration of coming. It's like a lady coming to her doctor. Uh, coming to Jesus is a picture that we wholeheartedly trust in him alone. That he is the solution to our problem. He is the source of life and we believe in him. And now here we have an illustration of drawing. It's like a, a man drawing fish to the shore. Our being drawn to Jesus is a picture that we cannot trust or believe or even understand without God first moving us from where we are in our sinfulness to the place where he wants us to be. Our first question this afternoon was, 
Why is it that this person believes Jesus, understands Jesus, and that person doesn't? The reason is that a person cannot come without being drawn by God. Only when they are drawn by God will they come. So we've seen who the drawer is. Who is the drawer? The Father. And to carry on the illustration, we've seen who the shore is. Who is the dry land we are safely brought to rest upon? The sun. Now staying with the analogy, what is his net? What is the the tool that God has appointed to use through fishers of men as his net to draw sinners? It's the spirit-empowered gospel. Romans 1, 16 to 17. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news that Christ died for our sins and rose again to bring sinners into his kingdom as their saviour when they come to him. Paul isn't ashamed of that message because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And why do I say spirit-empowered gospel? Because the spirit is the one who must grow the seeds of the gospel message in a person's heart. Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. The tool that the Holy Spirit uses is the gospel to draw and the gospel alone. So Peter writes, 1 Peter 1, you've been purified in your souls through the Spirit, having been born again through the Word of God. And Jesus says himself, in a few verses later in our chapter, in verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. It is the Holy Spirit giving power to the words of the gospel message of salvation through Jesus, the Son. That's the thing the Father has appointed as the the net by which he draws sinners out of the ocean of sin and his wrath to rest safely upon the shore of Jesus, whom they now trust and love Don't we owe everything to God? All that we are. Have you come to Jesus? Are you trusting in him? Then all that you are, you now owe to him. How could we come to this rest ourselves? We never could. We needed God to bring us. How could we understand 
the words and the teachings of Jesus ourselves. We never could. We needed God to bring our dead souls to life. How could we ever taste and see that the Lord is good? We never could. We needed God to give us a heart that desires him. He drew us that we would come to Christ. He made us born again that we would believe. We have to come to the Son. But no one can come unless the Father draws. Now in closing, there's a great danger here for us as Christians. What is the danger? The danger is that we read this verse, no one can come to the Son unless the Father draws him. And we see that there's a, there's a human act that needs to take place. People need to come to Jesus. But instead of prayerfully trusting in and counting on the divine act to produce the human act, we insert other human acts and trust in them, hope in them to bring about people coming to Jesus. In other words, we believe John 6, 44 on the surface because it's in the Bible, because it's a statement of Jesus. But in practice, we don't trust it as though it is true. That's the danger. And in virtually every single instance of this, when we fall into the trap, we're doing one of two things. We either replace the father with something else, and we say, what they really need is this person to draw them to Christ. They'll do the job. Or we replace the gospel with something else. And we say, what they really need is this net in order to draw them to Christ. That'll do the job. So Christian, what is it that you're putting your hope in? Do you find yourself trusting in and counting on a certain type of preacher over trusting the one true drawer, the Father himself? Do you find yourself trusting in and counting on a certain type of net over trusting the gospel net which God has marked power of salvation? Don't replace the Father as the one drawer you hope in. Who is it that can draw non-Christians to Christ? Is it a passionate cre creature? Is it a passionate preacher? Is it Ian Hyam? Is it Stuart Elliott? Is it Keith Underhill? Is it a seasoned evangelist? Is it Billy Graham, Roger Carswell, Ray Comfort? Is it a powerful testimony? That's what we need. Is it Johnny Erickson Tada, Nikki Cruz, Lee Strobel? Is it an eloquent apologist, Ken Ham? Is it John Lennox? Is it Ravi Zacharias? Is it a future preacher that God is yet to raise up and bring about revival? That's what we need to hope in. To hold a preacher 
or anything other than the Father, in our minds as the decisive factor, thinking he's the one who's going to turn things around, diminishes the role of the Father. Don't replace the Father in your minds as the drawer that you're hoping in. And also, don't replace the gospel as the one net that you're hoping in. Thinking of Ravi Zacharias. He was an apologist who many of us loved, who died at the end of last year. And very recently, since his death, an investigation has shown so painfully that he was involved in various kinds of sexual misconduct, which in many ways have tarnished his ministry. Now, perhaps the Christian church as a whole, myself included, was so taken up by the eloquence that we heard and didn't see the lack of gospel-centeredness from him. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 1 to 5, Paul writes, And I, brethren, came to you, and when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech, nor of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. That's not the net. Yet how often to our shame do we esteem that? Eloquence, excellence of speech. Paul continues, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's the net. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Are you the person who will look at the upcoming church schedule and think, oh dear, it's him preaching at the gospel service. It's not much use inviting anyone if it's him. This will be a dud. If so, you might not have liked Paul all too much. Weakness. Fear, trembling. But Paul knew what the net was. And he determined that that's all he would preach. Because he knew that's where the power of God was. Paul knew that the gospel is the only lightning rod for the Holy Spirit. So why would we waste our time waving other sticks in the air? We don't know whom the Holy Spirit will strike with the conviction and salvation that he brings. But like Paul, we must be faithful in waving the lightning rod of the gospel everywhere we go, in casting out the net of the gospel, because God has said that it's the only thing by which he will draw the fish. A number of years ago, I watched a video on the internet of a Christian, I assume, arguing that the earth wasn't created as a globe, but rather a flat plane. Now, the earth's shape is not our subject this afternoon, but I've never forgotten the last line 
in this particular video. After presenting his argument, the narrator ended the video with these words that flashed on the screen. Nothing in this world would turn people to God faster than people learning the truth about flat earth. If only their eyes are open to this, then they will be drawn. If only their understanding towards this will be open, then they'll realize everything points to God. You could substitute the words flat earth there for so many other topics. Uh, evolution and creation. Nothing in this world will turn people to God faster than people learning the truth about creation, the myth of evolution. If only I can debunk their anti-God arguments and prove that life really did originate, not from a Big Bang, but the Creator, then they will be drawn to God. Maybe the historical reliability of the Bible. If only I can make them see that the manuscripts are reliable and historically, historically accurate, then they will be drawn to God. End times signs. If only I can make them see that this event points to this and it's been predicted and prophesied, then they will be drawn to God. Nothing in this world will turn people to God faster than them learning the truth about how you end that sentence changes the way you live your Christian life. How you end that sentence changes the way you live your Christian life. We can fall into thinking, if only they see this, then everything will become clear for them. Therefore, it's my mission to make them see. It's my mission to use this to draw them. Only one can draw them. And he tells us what he uses. Who is the drawer? The father is the drawer. What is his net? The Holy Spirit empowered gospel. To say it's anything other, to try and use any other tool, is to change his words. Don't you think it's strange that Paul never stood up in a crowd and gave his testimony? If anyone had a radically changed life, it would be Paul, right? But he never does it once. Neither does Peter. What would they be told today? Well, they're missing a great opportunity. People need to hear your story. Similarly, read through Acts. Do we ever see the apostles trying to convince the crowds of the origins, the shape of the earth, and prove God's the creator? Do we ever see the apostles try and persuade someone that the, Christ the scriptures are reliable, the manuscripts can be trusted? Do we ever see the apostles pointing to end time signs in order to verify what they're saying? Instead, as Paul wrote, they determined not to know anything among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, this isn't to say that 
people don't have issues that need to be dealt with. Here's a man who's convinced in evolution that God is not the creator of all things and therefore has no say in his life. That's an issue that needs to be dealt with. But solving that issue will not bring him to life. Solving that issue is like lifting the rubble off a dead body. What's your problem? He's still dead. To hold creation, evolution, or whatever other issue in your hands as though it's the net that's going to draw their minds to God diminishes the gospel. Or to hold creation and evolution alongside the gospel net as though they together are going to draw them diminishes the gospel. The truth is, if you're going to frame it in this way, nothing in this world would turn people to God faster than people learning the truth about Christ. And how are they going to do that? They need to hear the gospel. So Christian, what is it that you're putting your hope in? Do you find yourself trusting in, counting on a certain type of preacher, over-trusting the one true drawer? Do you find yourself trusting in and counting on a certain type of net over the gospel net? So, as we close, what, what does all of this change for us? What must we do? First of all, you must come to Christ. While we don't know who God has chosen or who he will draw, each of us is responsible to come to him and to believe in him, to eat and drink and to rest and stay close by him. And he says, I'm here. Come to me. And then for us as Christians, the reason for Jesus saying, verse 66, is that people are hearing his words and they're not believing his words. We have to, therefore, pray trustingly that God, the drawer, would draw. We, we have no power to draw or persuade or convince without God drawing. I mean, people heard the words of Jesus and didn't believe. What makes us think they'll believe our words and be drawn? We have to count on the Father who desires that none would perish and plead with him to do the work of drawing sinners to himself. And then we also have to, therefore, preach trustingly. Nothing but the gospel. To preach anything else is at best a waste of time and at worst, diminishes the gospel itself. In order for people to be saved, in order for people to be awakened, in order for people to be free, they must believe this message that God has decided that the Holy Spirit will use to bring about salvation. No one can come to Christ unless... The Father who sent him 
draws that person. And then your saviour will raise you up on the last day. Will I see you there? 